See, why don't you say hello to some people around you? Shake a hand or two. Good to see you. Anybody taking finals right now? Right in the middle of taking finals? No? A couple of you. Anybody already done? You just want to brag about it? Go ahead and brag about it. Good for you. Some of you don't start till next week. That's sad. We love you. Hope it goes well. We'll pray for you. Might want to study as well, though. I'm excited, uh, excited to be here tonight, coming off of a long series the past couple weeks. We've been talking about some things, but uh, tonight we are entering into the official Christmas season. Anybody excited? Anybody love Christmas? So uh, I'm a Christmas lover. That's a weird thing to say. Um, I love Christmas. My favorite holiday, my favorite time of year. It's amazing, and so I'm excited for the next two weeks. We're going to kind of have a little Christmas message, and then uh, on December 20th, we are going to uh, party like a rock star. So we're going to have a little Christmas service, actually, a little Christmas service in here, kind of a shortened service, going to be unique, a little bit different, and then uh, we are going to exit out of the building and have uh, some fun Christmas activities in the lobby, as well as we're going to show the elf in here in the big room on the big screen. It's not the elf. Why did I say the elf? It's elf. We're going to show the, <laughs> that's what I read. We're going to show elf and uh, it's going to be amazing on December 20th. So that'll be fun uh, in here. So I'd love to have you out for that, for all the Christmas festivities. And then uh, a cool thing next week, actually, uh, next week, we're going to do something unique after service just to kind of celebrate. You guys are, a lot of you will be free from school and that kind of thing, so you can stay out a little bit later. So we got permission from our friends down at Boulder Creek Coffee that uh, they're going to open up the coffee shop a little bit later just for our group so that after service, we can head over there, carpool or just hop in your ride, whatever, head over there, and uh, we'll have some fun drinking some coffee so that way we're up super late and eating some nice little pastries or whatever you want to eat and uh, have some fun just laughing and enjoying the community at Boulder Creek Coffee, a great coffee shop. Is Bo here? I don't know Bo works at Boulder Creek. He's not here, so I can't give him a shout out. Oh, well. So I'm excited for those things, but excited about tonight. I'm going to share with you a quick, short message and hopefully just encourage you and then uh, get you out of here to the things that you got going on. But just wanted to drop in and give you a brief word of encouragement as we enter into the uh, Christmas season. And um, hopefully it'll speak to you. As I get into it, I thought I'd share a little bit of a story. 
one of the things that I enjoy doing every so often is just reflecting back on the different kind of like age periods of life. So elementary school, middle school, uh, high school, and college, so on. I'm 30 years old, y'all, so now I can talk about the, my 20s. Uh, that's scary. But I, I just enjoy kind of looking back and asking myself, you know, what, Austin, what was going through your head when you were a seventh grade student or just a seventh grade young whippersnapper? You know, what, was, what were the things, what was on my mind? What, what were the things I enjoyed doing? It just seems like so long ago. Uh, what were my greatest struggles in school? What were the things that were, what was happening in my life? I don't know if you ever do this. For some of you, you're like, if I could never think about middle school ever again, that would be awesome. Anybody, anybody just want to never think about, okay, cool. Um, for me, I just enjoy, for some reason, middle school is that time because it's far enough back that I really have to think about it for me. And uh, so I was thinking the other day, you know, what was, I just was trying to remember, what was middle school like for me? What was seventh grade like? For me, I just remember like the, the thing that consumed the majority of my thoughts and just what was happening in my world as a middle school dude, I just, I could not, like baseball completely consumed my mind. That was the thing I was in. I, I just loved it. My goal in life was to be a, a professional major league baseball player. I really, that's all I wanted to do. I had no other ambitions, but I'm just going to make it to the pros, and it's going to be great. That was, that was my goal. Still kind of part of my goal. I think I could still get there. Um, I'm going to start getting loose a little bit, and it could happen. God could do whatever he wants. Don't you tell me no. Um, so, but that was, that was like my world then. I just lived, I breathed, I slept, whatever that means. I, baseball was just everything to me. And one of my like fond memories between just me and a couple of my buddies, the thing that we were obsessed about as a middle schooler is, is we couldn't wait to get to high school because in high school, in playing baseball in high school, you finally got to get what was known as the walkout song. For those of you, you may be familiar, maybe not be familiar with a walkout song. A walkout song, if you were to go to a Braves game, uh, a walkout song is the song that they play as they're walking to the plate, right? So if you go now, I'm not really sure what walkout songs they have now. Uh, but I remember, like, back then, it was Chipper Jones, the greatest third baseman to ever play the game of baseball. Shout out. Um, Chipper Jones, his walkout song. Does anybody know what it is? It was Ozzy Osbourne Crazy Train, right? Dun -dun. Okay, y'all gonna leave me hanging like that? <laughs> Thought I'd get a little help. Uh, go listen to Crazy Train if you want. That was his walk. He was known for his walkout song. Not really, he was known for a lot of other stuff, but his walkout song was just boom. You had John Smoltz come out of the bullpen playing some ACDC, and it was just like, uh, that was his walkout song, right? Walkout song was super important back then because as you got a walkout song, it just declared, it like announced to everyone, this is me. This is my life. I'm about that life, right? So it's very important what kind of walkout song you chose. So we were, as I was thinking through it, it was like, all right, what am I going to choose? Because if I choose, you know, if someone chose a country song, basically what they were saying is, I'm about that life. Like, after the game, I'm going to get in my jacked up 4x4 truck, maybe go out hunting a little bit. Not hunting, hunting. I'm going to go hunting. And uh, that, <laughs> that's, I'm about that life. I play country music as my walkout song, right? And maybe you, maybe you wanted to go with a rock song. 
You want to go with like some classic rock? You want to play some, some Led Zeppelin or whatever? You could go with that. What that basically was announcing to everyone is, I don't pick my own music. I just listen to what my dad wants to listen to. Uh, so I'm about that life, right? Or you could go with a younger rock song, and basically you're saying, after this game, I'm going to go play the guitar in my garage band. I have a double life. I'm an athlete and a musician. Watch out for me. That's what you were saying to everyone. If you went with a rap song, you basically were saying, I'm a white boy from Swanee, and I want everybody to think I'm tough. <laughs> and everyone just didn't think anything of you. They were like, you're an idiot. You're from Swanee. Um, so no one really went with that. Uh, but for me, as I'm trying to decide what to go with, I thought, I'm going to combine all of them together and I'm going to get the best walkout song. It's going to amp me up. It's going to tell everybody what I'm about in life. So I went with the classic Kid Rock. Ball, ball with the ball. Do you guys know that song? You can't even, like, it's not even a word. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Go look it up, Kid Rock. Ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, diggy, diggy, diggies. Anybody? Anybody? Just... One of those songs that just doesn't even say actual words. And so you're just like, all right, I'm in for it. That was the song that I was going to go with. Got to high school. Coach didn't allow us to have walkout songs. So that was the end of that dream. Um, all that to say, that's what I was obsessed with. Now, this is called a transition. Watch me now. We get into the Christmas season. And uh, I started thinking about the story of Jesus. I mean, obviously, Christmas is about the coming of Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus came. And so even now, we're in this Advent season, which is celebrating the coming of Jesus on Christmas Day. And it's really this anticipation, like Alex was saying, this anticipation and expectation for Jesus. So it's a really a, a cool time that we're in right now. And I got to thinking about what was it like, I mean, for those that before he came, got to announce to everyone he is on his way. Jesus is coming, and this is what he's about. I mean, the, what was Jesus' walkout song? Can I say that? I don't know. That seems weird. But, like, what was the, the people that announced he was coming? It's such an important role. What did they say? I think about the prophet Isaiah. You know, what did he say when he got to announce that Jesus was coming? What did the angels say in the book of Luke, when they were announcing to the shepherds that Jesus was coming, what, what was, I mean, out of all the things that they could announce, out of all the things that they could say, they could say, hey, everyone, behold, Jesus is about to be born, and just wait for it, because what would they say? Because he's going to perform tons of miracles, and it's going to be awesome. You just get ready for it. I mean, out of all the things that they could say, what, what were they going to announce about the coming of Jesus? As you read the scriptures, one of the, the common themes, and even more specifically, one of the common words that you'll see in the Christmas story is this word peace. The word peace. In fact, Jesus is referred to as coming, and he's known as the Prince of Peace. Now, peace in our world is something you may be familiar with. It's a pretty common word. You may have heard it as, you know, a peace treaty or times of peace, it usually refers to a season of like no conflict, right? There's no war. And that was true when the word peace was used in the Bible, but it was more than just that there was an absence of conflict. It actually meant that there was something in the place of conflict. 
which is really neat that that word peace was used, not just as an absence of conflict, but that something was coming in the place of conflict. And so as we think about this word peace, the Hebrew word, if you go in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace that is primarily used is this word shalom. Turn to your neighbor and say shalom. Shalom. Now, now, for most of us, we probably didn't greet somebody or we probably didn't hear the word shalom used today. I didn't greet anybody in the lobby and no one said shalom to me. It's not in our language. Maybe if you're familiar with Jewish culture, you may have heard that word before. But this was the word that was used for peace primarily. And the definition, the best translation for this word shalom is this. It's completeness. Completeness, wholeness, soundness, that idea that nothing is cracked. In fact, you'll see it used in Joshua chapter 8. It describes, those words shalom describes a stone with no cracks in it. It's a perfectly smooth stone. It's a shalom stone. You'll also find it uh, describing like a stone wall around a city. When a stone wall had no gaps in it, there has tons of layers to this wall. There's tons of pieces that make up this wall. But when the wall has no gaps in it, there's no cracks in it, it was referred to as a shalom wall. You'll also see it in Job chapter 8 when Job is describing his tents. And he's saying that his tents are in a state of shalom because the animals and all that are amongst his tents are all there. He's not missing anything. And so it's this, uh, this state of existence where it is complete and whole and sound. And this ought to make like really good sense to us. I mean, this ought to connect with us. If you think about, you know, life has many layers to it. Life has many complications. It has many pieces that are involved into it. And it's very complex. And I think you guys have lived long enough to probably experience that when something is out of whack in one area, it kind of throws off your entire life. Maybe it's just me, but I just feel like when something is, like if you think about in your work, if you have a conflict at work and it's just eating at you and you can't get through it, maybe it's a relational thing or some kind of conflict, it begins to kind of affect your school life, right? Or then affects your relationships or affects your families. It just affects all areas. Your shalom goes missing. Your shalom is broken when there is not this centeredness, when something is out of order. Maybe you've experienced this in a relationship. Like if you've, been, if you've dated for any season of time, you'll know that you'll go through a season where it's just like something's off, you know? I don't know what it is, but our communication, we're just button heads a little bit. And hopefully this will get better, right? If it lasts for a little too long, we've got to have a conversation. But it's just something that's off. I can say that even being married, there are times where me and my wife, it's like something, like we're just not connecting. Something, it's like our shalom is broken. And when that happens, man, it's really hard for me to be my best at work, really hard for me to be my best in my friendships and all these other areas of life. Whenever I have this brokenness at home, my entire shalom is affected because there's no completeness. There's no wholeness about it. There's no soundness to it. And it usually takes one of us 
in a relationship to bring up a problem to say, we need to talk, we need to figure this out together. We need to find what is going on in order for there to be restoration, in order for our relationship to be restored. And it's, what's really cool is this is actually the verb meaning of shalom, is that shalom brings about restoration. So what I was saying earlier, it's not just a, an absence of conflict, but shalom is actually when the restoration is brought about. And so you'll see this in the Old Testament, actually, whenever there would be like rival kings, and whenever they would come together, it wasn't just that there was no longer war, but they would come together and then there would begin to be this sharing of goods and resources. They would then kind of become, go from two kingdoms now to one kingdom. So it wasn't just that they were no longer fighting. It was this entire, uh, they brought shalom with them. And there was this unity. There was this restoration that was brought about in that process. And this was the kind of kingdom that the kings of Israel were supposed to cultivate. But many times they did not do that. And so as we get into the Old Testament, and specifically in Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to the day when a king would come and he would bring shalom because he was not experiencing that. He was looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come and with him, he would bring shalom, a completeness, a wholeness, a soundness in the world. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we look at verse 6. It's kind of a famous Christmas passage, but it says this. This is the prophet Isaiah. And he says, For to us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, listen to the names, Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and check out the last name, the Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace. So two times that word shalom is used. There will be no end. So the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to the day that the Messiah, the, the literal God of shalom, would come, and he would make a covenant of shalom with his people and things would be restored back to the way that they were designed to be. And so the announcement that Isaiah makes is that the Prince of Peace is coming, that the God of Shalom is coming. Now I want to jump ahead to the New Testament because the New Testament, there's a little bit of a shift. We go from a Hebrew language to a Greek language, but the word peace is still used. It's just a different word. So I'm going to have you say it to your neighbor. So tell your neighbor, get ready. I'm going to probably butcher this. You ready? The Greek word for peace is the word erene. Say it to your neighbor. Erene. Y'all did good. That was better than I thought it was going to be. Do it one more time. Erene. <laughs> and so this is the word that gets used for peace, but we can read an, another account of the coming of Jesus and find that this word peace, this word erene, gets used again in Luke chapter 2. This is what the angels say. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, erene to those on whom his favor rests. Now this is interesting to me because already this is a little bit different than what the prophet Isaiah 
was saying because Isaiah was saying that that this Jesus, the Messiah, that he would be peace, that he was going to, like literally that was going to be his name and that in him was peace. And it was referring to him being uh, what makes the relationship between humanity and God right again. And it was saying that Jesus was going to be the peace for that relationship. But Luke is recounting this story in the book of Luke, and he says that peace would be given to those at the arrival of Jesus. It's a little bit different. It's not just that he is peace, but it's that he is offering peace to you and to me. He is peace and he's offering peace. This is revolutionary because Jesus would go on to say in John chapter 14, later on in the New Testament, he would say this. He'd say these words, peace I leave with you and my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's saying peace I leave with you. Like I am giving you peace. And so the arrival of the Prince of Peace really does two things. This is all I got for tonight, just two things. The arrival of the Prince of Peace really does two things. The first thing that it does is it makes a relational peace between humanity and God. The arrival of Jesus, his birth on the scene, makes a relational peace between all of humanity and God. You may know this, you may not know this, but, but there is something that is keeping me from having a relationship with God on this earth, and that is my sin. Because God is a holy God, I am not a holy man. I have many mistakes, I have many mess-ups, I have many imperfections. And so there is this gap between me and God. And thank God that it was not put on me the burden to solve the gap. Otherwise, I got nothing. All I can do is give you my best, my best works, my good deeds. Scriptures say that even my good deeds are like filthy rags. They do nothing. They cannot bridge the gap between me and God. So thank God that he took the burden on him to say, I will bridge the gap, thus sending his son Jesus, hello, Merry Christmas, to earth to be Thing, the person that solves the sin gap between me and God, therefore giving me a relationship with him. And when he hung on that cross 33 years after his coming to earth, that he would pay the price for my sins, he would take it on himself, and then he would rise from the dead, defeating my sins, defeating the grave, and establishing the, the, uh, a way for me to have a relationship with God. So the Prince of Peace, he makes peace between me and God, and he allows that establishment to happen. Does that make sense? So that's the good news of the Christmas season, is that the Prince of Peace has come, and he has made peace. He has made a way for you to know him. One of my favorite verses in it is in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes these few verses, and it says this. I want you to notice how many times the word peace is used. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In other words, peace is available. Jesus is available to every single person. Not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Not just to God's chosen people, but now to every single person who would want it. Peace has been made available. The gap has been filled. But then there's this interesting verse in the book of Matthew, and maybe you're already thinking about it, because this verse says this. is Jesus talking, and he says, Don't think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. As I was studying, I read that, and I'm like, all right, God, well, what about, what about this? Like, you're the prince of peace. You come to bring us peace. But then now you actually said your very words, well, don't think that I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. But then I realized this, that before peace can ever be established, judgment has to take place. Before peace can ever be established, before this gap between you and God can ever be filled, judgment has to happen. You say, well, what, what judgment? The judgment of your sin, the judgment of my sin, the judgment of my mess-ups, the judgment of my shortcomings, the judgment, the things that keep me from getting to God. Judgment must take place on those sins. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. His judgment, all judgment was placed on him. He took it. He took it in your place so that you didn't have to. And therefore, the sword was used. And that's what he's saying. That in order for there to be peace, there must first be a sword. And God won that battle. Jesus won that battle for you and for me so that we don't have to. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush. That's a sword and peace. They both exist. So the Prince of Peace comes to establish this relationship, to make a relationship possible for you and I. But it doesn't just end there, because I believe the New Testament, especially when you think about Luke, in the book of Luke, when the, when the angels announced it, they said that peace will come to you and I. What does this mean? So it's not just the relationship that gets restored. But it also ushers in the ability for you and I to live in peace. So Jesus makes peace between humanity and God, but he also ushers in the ability for you and I to live in peace. And I believe this is way more complicated in our culture today. And more and more now so than ever, we are experiencing a world of no peace. Would you agree? Maybe you've experienced in your life. If you haven't experienced in your life, that's okay. Just look at our world. Not a whole lot of peace. 
And maybe we're not fighting with another country in war right now, but you can just experience kind of the cultural climate right now and say, it doesn't seem like we're living in peace, and yet Jesus came to bring to you peace. Why? How? How does he do that? So listen to me, and then we'll, we'll close up here. Because Jesus is peace, it is who he is. He's the prince of peace. When he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell those who are followers of him, to literally come inside and live in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the promise that we have, is that he has sent his Holy Spirit to now walk with us and to be with us. And when he does that, literally he is enabling us to live in peace because part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. It is who he is. And so if it is who Jesus is and then Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, then it is who the Holy Spirit is. And if the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you have access to a resource of peace living inside of you. This is great news. You ought to say amen. Okay, we'll try again later. But remember what peace is. Peace is completeness. Peace is wholeness. Peace is soundness. It's this idea that nothing is cracked, that things are put together back where they should be. And listen, when we are living in a spirit-filled life, guided by the Holy Spirit, driven by the Holy Spirit, you have the opportunity to be complete, to be sound, to be whole. And I believe that is the objective of the Holy Spirit, is to make you whole and to make you complete. And this is the importance of the formation of our souls to be yielded to and to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Something you have to form in you. It doesn't just, or maybe if you just got some like crazy power or something, I don't know. For, for me, it doesn't come natural because I am guided usually by my flesh. And I have to daily surrender to the Holy Spirit to live a spirit-filled life in order for the fruit of the Spirit to come out of me. The fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. For the fruit of the Spirit to come out of me, I have to be yielded to him. Because my flesh pulls me in a whole other way. And I don't think I'm alone in this, right? My flesh pulls me toward worry, toward stress, toward anxiety, toward fear, toward anger, toward control. These are things that the flesh inside of me pull me toward. And I have to yield myself to the Holy Spirit to say, that's not what I want to be driven by. I want to be driven by the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. So what I'm saying is I have access to a resource of peace living inside of me that it's possible for me to tap into that and to be guided by that. I think, listen to me, and we're going to close up. I think the problem with the majority of us, including myself, but the majority of our culture, is that we are not tapping into the resource of peace like we could be. Therefore, we are driven along by all the other things of our flesh. And therefore, what is 
like swelling up inside of you is the stuff like stress and worry and fear and control and anger, all these kinds of things. And then check this out. Then you go out there and you get amongst other people who are also being driven by that. And that's their thing too. And that rages up in them. And that's in all of us. And then we all get together. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's very uncommon to find somebody who is living at peace, where peace has come over them. Would you agree? I think the majority of us don't tap into the resource that is peace. I was talking to some people earlier tonight before the service and just praying. And Jesus said that, you know, the way that the world would know us primarily is by our love, the way that we love people. And I don't know, I, 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 this is not in scripture, so it's just me assuming, but I, I really believe if there was a close second to love, I think the way that people would know that you were a follower of Jesus is that you lived that peace, is that you just had a peace that was over you, and that you weren't controlled by all the things of the flesh, doesn't mean that those things don't come up. It doesn't mean that those things aren't a struggle. It doesn't mean that those things uh, aren't a part of your life at times, but I'm not controlled by that. Like, what if the marking thing that he was trying to raise up in those who were followers, because I think it would make a huge difference in our world, is that we were people of peace. I just have a peaceful spirit. I'm not controlled by Stress, I'm not controlled by worry. I, why do you think the New Testament talks so much about worry? It says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own, so don't worry about the future. If God feeds the birds of the air, don't you think he'll feed you? That's scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, present your request to God. Do not be anxious. I think he talks so much about that. Because his desire for you and for me is that we would experience the wholeness and completeness of what it means to walk with him. So Merry Christmas, the Prince of Peace has come. I think my question to all of us would simply be this. What is robbing you of your peace? What's robbing you of your peace? And this, you know, this talk is not by accident. I chose it because many of you are stressed out because of finals, because of just the season. Christmas season for some of you is not a very merry, happy time. For some of you, it's a lot of maybe bad memories. For some of you, it's a lot of hanging out with family that you don't really enjoy being around. So maybe it's not. And maybe December is not a great time. What's robbing you? of your peace? Is it the hurry of this world, getting from one thing to another? Is it the vacuum of commercial capitalism that's in this world, this idea that you're in pro always in progress and that nothing is ever good enough, you're just always progressing to the next thing and you gotta always make more money and you gotta always go to the next? I'm telling you, that's a system of the world that's trying to trap you. This idea that the proverbial ladder that you're climbing up in life 
Will I ever take the next step? Maybe it's a lack of contentment. This is wanting more. It's not being content with what you have, but wanting the next thing, wanting more. That has you ungrateful. Each of these things is not a conductor of peace. They're the absolute opposite. I think that's why you have to be so in tuned with the Holy Spirit. Jordan, you can come up here. Maybe, maybe it's this. We talked about the hurry, lack of contentment. Maybe it's sin. Maybe we don't talk about this enough. Maybe it's, it's, it's sin in your life that's robbing you of your peace. I read this verse in uh, Psalm chapter 85. It, it says this in the book of Psalms. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I think that's so poetic and beautiful. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And so it's actually when you're submitted to the Holy Spirit and you're in obedience, when you're in aligned with God's will for your life and living how he's designed you to live, it's that righteousness, and that's when righteousness and peace kiss each other. I, I know I can look back on my life and think of the times when I was most struggling with sin, most just like overcome by things in my life that I know, you know God didn't want in my life. And I remember being the most uneasy, the most unrest, the most just not content, the most not peace-filled I've ever been because I had this, this just longing in me and this uh, knowledge in me that I was not who God had created to me. I was not living how God created me to live. Perhaps that's what's robbing you of your peace. And so, may, may, you know, I can't force you to want to desire a life of peace. I think you have to come to a place where you say, I can't go on with this life of stress and worry and all those other things I need peace. And I think the good news is, you know, we read Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Later on in the book of Isaiah, he would pin these words. He said, you will keep, talking about God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. He says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are are steadfast because they trust you. Peace, wholeness, completeness, soundness is found in the person of Jesus. And he restores. He restores your relationship with God. He restores you to completeness, to wholeness. And that's his offer tonight. That's his offer in the Christmas season we celebrate is that he has come to earth, the Prince of Peace, and he's come to offer it to you.